Welcome and thanks for tuning in to the Victorian Aboriginal News Van Talks podcast. I'm your host, Charles Parkiner. Victorian Aboriginal News acknowledges and pays respect to traditional owners and custodians across Australia. We acknowledge the elders who have gone before, those who currently lead their communities and those who will follow in years and generations to come. In early 2023, the Wadunjeti Woiwurrung people were successful in regaining ownership of two significant pieces of art that had been created by noted Wurundjeri Narangida, Uncle William Barrick, and dating back to the 1890s. Uncle William, who began painting only in his 60s, is famous also for being in attendance when, as a young boy in 1835, he witnessed the signing of a document that is known infamously as the Batman Treaty. For this episode, we visited the State Library of Victoria in Melbourne, where an event was held to commemorate the return of these two significant pieces of art to the Wadangeri people. We're now joined by Wadangeri elder Uncle Ron Jones, who was instrumental in bringing these pieces back to the Wadangeri people and also to the people of Australia. Uncle Ron, thanks for joining us on the podcast today. It's great. Pleasure to be here. Unc, you were instrumental in this and I know that we've had a chat before and you, while you're happy about this, you're actually disappointed that there's not an opportunity to bring back more art pieces and we'll get to that in a minute. But tell us a bit about the auction itself because it must have been a heart-pounding time. Paint us a bit of a picture. Look, it was uh, probably a month before the auction was due to happen. My daughter, Karen rang me and said, uh, Dad, there's some of William Barrick's artefacts in auction. Mm. So she Googled Sotheby's and she came across the um, catalogue. So there was a fair bit of Victorian artefactual material over there, but we didn't read right through yeah. William Barrick's. We only read through William Barrick's two items was the painting of women... In the corroboree or the in ceremony? In the corroboree. Well, yep. I'd say corroboree back ceremony, in the days. Yeah. Ceremony, right? Yeah. Um, it was the men that committed the or did the corroboree and the women did their dancing. So mm. when I think back and then the shield, um, I thought, no, we've got to do something about it. This has got to be brought back home. This is our culture. This is our history. Now, you've already been through situations like this before. Four. Most Famously, I think, in 2016, when one of the most significant pieces of all, which was, I think, just called Ceremony. Ceremony. Or referred to loosely as the Bible for yeah. the Wadangeri people, was lost. Lost. Because it was taken from Victoria up to New South, South Wales, Wales and sold. That, that's right. Now, what had happened... Back in them days, like me and my wife, we used to do a lot of antique auctions for glassware mm. and now and again an Aboriginal artefact to crop up. So I purchased them just to come back to an Aboriginal person. That's yeah. the way I looked at it back in them days. Now, what had happened, that one that you were just talking about, when that was in Bohem's auction, Grocon give us 500000 because that image that they put on their building was incorrect, so yeah. we, we wanted them to change that image, and they said it was going to cost millions of dollars, but this painting in the meantime had come up through Bowams, and they said, well, we will give you 500000 to bring that painting, mm-hmm. or see if you can win it. So what happened, that auction went ahead. Now, the interim CEO at the time, I said, well, put me in charge of the auction, 
So I've done quite a few different antique auctions, so I know how to handle it, right? <laughs> and no, and behold, she wouldn't do it, and she wouldn't fly me up to Sydney. So it went ahead, they said, we're going to have someone up there that's going to do the auction for you. I don't know what happened, but they blew it. Yeah. And that got lost to someone in New South Wales, or we don't know exactly, no, because they won't tell us who was the person that uh, purchased it. It's gone into private hands. But what happened, a couple of days prior to that auction, it was brought down to Melbourne here to mm. put on show. So I ring AV. Now, far as I'm concerned, Aboriginal Affairs at the time should have went and confiscated that. It had been yeah, returned you've mentioned to me before about this, yeah. It was re- returned back to Victoria. So to me, it was still an Aboriginal artefact. It's Aboriginal culture. And there was legislation at the time. At the time. It couldn't be sold if it were in Victoria. Victoria, that's yeah, right. Yeah. So that's what they do under this legislation. Once they take it out of Victoria, and a lot of auction houses do this, they'll sell it interstate. So when they've got Victorian artefactual material, they'll move it mm. from state to state. So that's how they beat it. But if it's a Victorian artefact, you must have a permit to be selling auction. So we do have a lot of people, and they know by the old um, artefactual material now, same as on eBay, the amount of stuff that's been sold of our materials on eBay... I can imagine. And Aboriginal Affairs still again, the state government won't do anything with eBay. There's artefacts, there's stone axes, there's shields that go on sale every day of the week. But tell us about this particular auction in particular. Now, you were put in charge of it. This was yours. <laughs> Uncle Ron's auction, essentially. Tell us about the event itself and how it felt when you finally got that winning bid in there. How can I put it this way? A month before the auction, there was two mudlarks that come to me. So the two mudlarks that were flying around me in the park is my mother's spirits that I believe, right? Every time something goes on, if there's a bit of trouble or a bit of happiness, the mudlarks will fly around me. I don't know where they come from. (laughs) So, so a bit of an omen for you, aren't that's, you? That's right. So that's why I look at it. So from the word go, that month before the auction, I knew that I was going to win that auction. So I thought, but we know we're going to win this auction, but where are we going to get the money from? Because <laughs> <laughs> you raised around about 117 or something like that, I think, was it? Yeah, 117. Yeah. Uh, plus we'd had 55,000 left over from the previous auction that people had that was a 2016 event, yep. Plus we had the four, uh, 400 and some odd thousand left out of the Growcom money. So we had about 600,000 and the state government come in 7 o'clock that night, just the day before the auction, and um, Danny Pearson told Gabriel Williams, the money's sitting here. So we finished up with nearly $2 million. So I knew that was any amount to win it. But on the same token, that type of William Barracks painting Mm. had never been seen before in America, so I knew it wouldn't reach a million dollars. So that was one thing up my sleeve, the fact that, but if it would have been a dot painting, anything from up the top end, yeah. it, would have, it yeah. would have brought big, big money. But so how, sh- much, how much did it cost in the end to get the two pieces? Oh, look, it cost uh, probably half a million, 600,000 Australian dollars, I think. Right. And just to win that and bring it back home... I've had two great experiences in my life, but that was the most best experience. The first experience was going back in 1972 
when I helped set up the first medical centre with all them beautiful people that are passed on now. Mm. But this here is something different. To bring something like that back home, that belongs to your bloodline as well. It's and just so you like are a descendant. I think is it great great granduncle? Is that yep, right, yep, William Barrack? Yeah. So what do these pieces mean to the Wadjuri people themselves from a cultural perspective? <sighs> it's like the land that was stolen from us. It was like these artifacts were stolen. We, we've got them back. Yep. We know it cost us. William Barrack and his uncles and his predecessors. That was all our land, like all Aboriginal people land. How many Aboriginal people own in Australia today? Yeah. Right? So, but we had to fight. Now, this uh, Simon de Puri chap that had this in his hands, he's a wealthy, very multi-millionaire that lives in Monaco. So it actually begs the question, how did these pieces actually leave... Australia. Has there been any investigation and finding into that? Any no, knowledge no, at all? Not that I know of, no, no. And you were talking before that it's still distressing for you and so many of your other countrymen that this is just a drop in the ocean. There are still so many pieces out there that could be instrumental to the Wurundjeri in recovering so much of their culture. What's the ongoing, I suppose, uh, mission for the Wurundjeri to try and identify and obtain some of these artefacts that are out there? I think it extends back to, how could you say, like China, like Egyptian, uh, Egypt, and how they go around the world looking for this stuff. Now, we even have uh, stone artefacts that are sitting in people's collection overseas. I went to Canberra last year and brought back six artefacts that were taken by person. Yeah. And somehow that place in Canberra brought them artefacts back. So mm. we had to go and get them. They belonged to Wawandri because this chap that had taken all those stow artefacts marked where the artefacts had come out of. So how much of this stuff is sitting over in private collections? And how much is sitting in different museums around the world, especially England, mm. let's face it. Oh, now. absolutely. Right? We should yeah. have people going over there doing inventory on all the Australian artefacts and bring them back home. You're actually quoted in the press as saying that this is, whilst it's an important acquisition for the Wurundjeri Woiwurrung people, it's important for all Aboriginal people, all Victorians, all Australians. Australians. Just explain that a bit for us, Unc. It's something I really can't explain. It's something that's been inbred in me. Mm. We share and care and give to each other. That's the way my mum and that they come off a mission station. So it was about sharing, caring and telling stories. So this now being a part of an exhibition and a greater interest across Victoria and Australia into the great man William Barrick, what do you think Australians can gain as a result of greater understanding of the man, the challenges he faced... Because he was doing this artwork and sharing culture at a time where it was pretty well, you can't do this. So these are important messages, obviously, for the majority of Australians out there. And great times also for the Wurundjeri, do you believe, for Aboriginal people? Are we looking at a change in the tide? How can I say it? The whole lot of Australia, we don't have a good record of putting our history up. Oh, that's that's a given, yeah. <laughs> right. It's about time that we start to educate people, yeah, non-Aboriginal people, about the suffering of our peoples. If we could go and have a look at what's happening overseas now with the genocides that are going on with different countries, mm. what happened here, 
no one's ever focused on our genocide that happened here 300 years ago. Absolutely. And let's get out the world and tell the world um, if we could get people to be like my mother, my grandmother, that were born on mission stations that suffered so bad, but how they were taught not to hate people. Mm. And they got on with life. Well, one can only hope that this exhibition is at least one catalyst towards... To, to, towards... Yeah. That, that Uncle Ron Jones, thank you so much indeed for coming yep, on to the program. It's been a pleasure. Joining us now on the program is the member for Essendon, Danny Pearson. Danny is the Minister for Transport Infrastructure, Minister for the Suburban Rail Loop, Assistant Treasurer and Minister for WorkSafe and the TAC. Minister, thanks for sparing us a few minutes. Great to be here. Minister, the question really goes begging that the government's decision to contribute $500,000 for the purchase of these two significant art pieces was in stark contrast to a statement that was made a week beforehand by a spokesperson for Gabrielle Williams, who was at the time the Minister for First Nations and Treaty, when that spokesperson said, well, the repatriation of significant Indigenous artworks and artefacts is responsibility for the federal government. What do you believe made the state government have that significant turnaround to support the Wurundjeri with half a million dollars? Well, I was really fortunate to be the Minister for Creative Industries at that time, and I took the view that there was capacity for us to be able to uh, acquire these goods, uh, acquire these artworks, I should say, mm. uh, for, for the benefit of all Victorians. And I uh, identified a funding source, and I thought it was really important that we were able to do this uh, because it was significant for the Wondery Corporation, obviously, but also, I think, for all Victorians to develop a better appreciation and a deeper appreciation for the way in which the Wondery people have uh, cared for country for tens of thousands of years and to develop a better appreciation for, for uh, the Wondery's culture. Is this a message, do you think, to other state and territory governments that they should not be pushing this back onto the federal government, this repatriation of artworks and artefacts that have found their way off our Australian shores? Well, look, I mean, I can't speak for other governments. I mean, ultimately, you've got to make your own call on these things. What I knew, uh, I knew I had the chance to do something. And what I also knew was if I didn't take that chance... And if these works were lost uh, or ended up in a private collection, uh, it would be a matter for uh, a, a lot of regret for me. And, and I just didn't want that. I, I had the opportunity uh, I, and I pursued it and it was the right thing to do. And it's something I'm incredibly proud of. Uh, and I feel, you know, today I feel very um, happy. I'm in a happy space because because mm. because you see these works and you see the way in which they've been created um, between the Wondery Corporation and the State Library and to know that this is something that generations of Victorians will continue to enjoy and experience is something very special to me. Let's be really frank. Do you believe that there's a possibility that it's opened up a bit of a floodgate or a potential, not necessarily a floodgate, but set a precedent for other t traditional owner groups around uh, Victoria to come to the state government and say, well, look, you did it for one traditional owner group, now it's time to help us, and it could be the Gunakurnai or the Gunachamara. Is there that potential? Oh, it could be. Uh, and, and, I mean, I think that the government would look at these matters uh, on a case-by-case on case basis. Uh, but, you know, from my, my perspective, I think we need to have respect and reconciliation and we need to have the ability for non-Indigenous Victorians to have that respect and appreciation for the way in which Indigenous culture and heritage uh, has been a hallmark of the state for tens of thousands of years. So... 
obviously it would need to be dealt with on a case-by-case basis, but uh, as a member of the government, I'd be very comfortable uh, in examining these issues uh, as they arise from time to time. And I think that if we can get to the position where it doesn't matter whether you're in Melbourne or Mildura or Lakes Entrance or Portland, if you've got that appreciation for the way in which the local Indigenous communities have cared for country for tens of thousands of years and the way in which their culture was structured and run, I think that's a really positive thing. You've mentioned a couple of times, or alluded to it at least, that this is for the benefit of all Victorians and not just the Wadangeri Woiwurrung peoples themselves. Obviously, it's very important to them. What benefits and advantages do you see that this sort of acquisition and the display of these pieces can have to Victoria and to Victorians in general? Well, I think it's just, again, coming back to that level of respect and appreciation and the fact that this was not terra nullius, that... For 65,000 years, the Wandry people cared for this country uh, and uh, Indigenous communities right across the state cared for their respective countries. And I think it's just trying to ensure that Victorians, uh, all Victorians, have that level of pride and that understanding and that appreciation and that respect. You know, I think in terms of we're all good at learning about the kings and queens of, of England. <laughs> We're all good about, you know, understanding the American War of Independence or the French Revolution. Uh, this should be seen as yeah. just a natural extension of the way in which Victoria was cared for uh, and the way in which the community looked after this country and their culture. And, you know, I think developing that level of appreciation amongst Victorians, I th- of all Victorians, I think is going to be really important going forward. Minister, thank you for your time. Thank you for yours. Our third guest on today's special episode of Van Talks, coming to you from the State Library of Victoria, is Wadangeri woman, Brooke Wandon, educator, language worker, and in her own rights, highly accomplished artist. Brooke, thanks for joining us on the podcast today. Nungajun, thank you. Brooke, you've been a happy person ever since I saw you this morning. Today really is a day that fills you full of a lot of joy, doesn't it? 100%. Tell us about the importance of today, these returning to important pieces. What does it mean to you and then also to the greater Wurundjeri people by way of resurrecting or reclaiming some of that culture that was so hideously wrested away? Well, I think the first thing to note is the returning of two precious objects is really complex for many reasons. So I suppose at its heart, it is somehow undoing some teeny tiny amount of damage that was done in the past. Mm. So for Barak's work to come home, it is a day that we can celebrate. It's a day that we can stand tall. It's a day that we can go, isn't it great that today's wonderful? Because after that vote thing that happened a little while ago, we need reasons to celebrate. We need reasons to come together as a mob, as a community, to hang out and to be strong. So there's that part. The other part of Barak's works returning home refers to the institutions that hold his works around the world, right? Yeah. So we have Barak, the legend, you know, the civil rights hero. The Narangita. The Narangita, the man, yeah. the human who created all these works which are exquisite cultural repositories which aren't objects. They're actually extensions of him and his perspectives and his energy that have travelled around the world and they're coming back. So I look at it like 
as they've gone away from country, their power has diminished, but G on their return has the power intensified from those works and, you know, literally from him. The other thing I wanted to say about the institutions is there are some really wonderful examples of institutions being flexible and uh, I suppose coming along the journey with us to yeah. reclaim objects. But uh, unfortunately, there are times when, you know, we as blackfellas come up against institutions that move the goalposts. We have to jump through hoops to access our own cultural materials. It doesn't matter if it's an ancestor, like physical human remains. It doesn't matter if it's a short or long text in our precious languages. It doesn't matter if it's a wooden object or a painting or a goddamn feather. Yeah. We, as humans, are entitled to access those things. We should be able to care for those things and love them the way our ancestors did. What can be done, though? Because the reality is that there are money-hungry people and institutions around the world that are going to hold on to a lot of these artefacts. As Uncle Ron was saying, so many of artefacts have found their ways overseas. What do you really believe can be done by the -the run-of-the-mill Victorian and Australian to try and achieve some sort of balance at least? Uh, How long have you got? (laughs) (laughs) I think, you know... It's a very standard kind of answer, but at the root of everything, every single human that lives in Australia is on Blackfella country, that they should be learning about, you know, the stories of the land where they live, work and play, full stop. Every human should do that. For example, when I go overseas, I try to really be strong and tap into who are the original people of the country where I travel. That's just respect, right? That's just being a good human. That's, That's the base. The next level is... Speaking from personal experience, I feel like a different person. I did a fellowship here at the State Library in 2022. Mm-hmm. My project was called Wurung Bugunga Bayiga, Together and Find Language. <laughs> My teeny tiny scope was to find materials that relate to Woiwurung in the collection. Good Lord. Yeah, it was like just a really small project. But what I found happened was, yes, I found language – Yes, I learn, uh, I've learnt more language and I have been sharing that with my family, but really what's happened is it's made me bigger, better, stronger. I'm a better black fella for connecting with that language. Do you think Australians themselves, non-Aboriginal people, can be better Australians by trying to achieve some of that connection that you've achieved during that fellowship here? Ooh, okay. Ooh. I feel like I can answer a few different ways here. First and foremost, I want to be able to create space and hold space for blackfellas to yep. feel awesome, first and foremost. Of course. So important. Another experience um, is uh, in my education, I work at Hillsville Primary School. I've made it my mission that that's my epicentre from where I can like share Wurundjeri culture and Woiwurrung language. Those kids do not question me. They know that I'm from that country. They know that my family have been there since time began and they just understand that and then they say, yeah, all right, Brooke, let's go outside and play. So for me, I am really focused on holding space for blackfellas first and foremost and my second kind of like, I don't know, methodology in sharing culture and language is through children and it's not to dismiss older people. It's just for me that gives me the, the greatest joy 
of children responding to me in the most articulate and beautiful ways that they get our ancient culture. And but you're not talking it. about Aboriginal children. You're talking about no. children, Australian children yes. of all heritages. Correct. What does it benefit them and what will it benefit the country in years to come? Oh, well, I'm sneaky because you can never <laughs> deny the child, right? You teach the adorable four-year-old, you teach the wise 10-year-old and they'll go home and tell mum and dad. Yep. Children who go to school at Hillsville Primary School should know about Corin Dirk. They live, work and play Absolutely. on that country. And so maybe that's a nice connector back to here today is I hope next year that I'll bring some Hillsville Primary School students to this show because they will recognise some of the pieces in the show. So what's your message out there to, let's just say, <laughs> let's start small. Let's go to the Melburnians out Ooh, there right okay. now. What's the message you've got out there to Melburnians in relationship to this particular show that's happening at the State Library of Victoria? We wish you had the camera on. The look on your face then was pure gold. <laughs> oh, I've got so much to say. Number one is get your butts here. Just please come and see the show. Please tell your friends. So this show is gorgeous because you can know the human, the man, Barack. You can know the artwork. Mm. You can be interested in art. You can be interested in language. You can be interested in woodworking, actually. You can come and have a look yeah, the at the glorious, shield. The glorious yeah. shield. Yeah. The second thing I really want to say to Melburnians, every time you go to the MCG and you sit in a circle, I want you to know that you are participating in a modern version of an ancient tradition of sitting in a circle on ceremonial country. That's what I would like Melburnians to know. And let's go further afield. What about Victorians? What? Oh, okay, <laughs> here we go. I've, just because I've got the microphone. I want Victorians to know that... Across Victoria, there are 44 different language groups yeah. that we are a complex and diverse and gorgeous mob. And we are all doing our best at the moment to pump ourselves up, keep ourselves strong and manage the expectation of being able to hold the cultural load for everybody in Victoria too. And I want people to know that and understand that that is um, a, an absolute privilege, but it can be really exhausting too. And I just want people to feel proud of where they live because we are an amazing people. And I'm not talking about just blackfellas. I'm talking about all of the people, for example, to go completely off track, all the people that are outside protesting today, this coming together and collaborating just to look each other in the eye and go, I like you, you're all right. Because if we don't do that, what's the point? I tell you what, Brooke, we've obviously got you in a good mood and I'm going to take <laughs> full advantage of that and ask you on air right now, how about you commit to coming back onto the program early in 2024 and we talk about your work in language, language resurrection and how it can be best taught and used by non-Aboriginal people because there is that fear factor. Oh, we can't even say Jilloa because that's, well, that's a general <laughs> word. But yeah. you know, can we say Bububu or yeah. Budai and things like mm. that or Wumanjika? Yeah. So how about we do that in 2024? Ooh. Can we get a yes from you? Oh, absolutely. Nay. <laughs> and on that, Brooke Wandon, thank you so much indeed for coming onto the program. Nungajun, thank you. For a full transcript of this interview, visit the Victorian Aboriginal News website at vicaboriginalnews.com.au. Until our next episode, stay safe and stay informed. Mm -hmm.